Chapter 15 of Loafing Along Death Valley Trails by William Carruthers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 The Story of Charles Brown. The story of Charles Brown and the Shoshone store begins at Greenwater. In the transient horde that poured into that town, he was the only one who hadn't come for quick, easy money. On his own, since he was eleven years old, when he'd gone to work in a Georgia mine, he wanted only a job and got it. In the excited, loose-talking mob, he was conspicuous because he was silent, calm, unhurried. There were no law enforcement officers in Greenwater. The jail was a 130 miles away, and every day was field day for the toughs. Better citizens decided finally to do something about it. They petitioned George Naylor, Inyo County Sheriff at Independence, to appoint or send a deputy to keep some semblance of order. Naylor sent a badge over and with it a note. Pen it on some husky youngster, unmarried and unafraid, and tell him to shoot first. Again, the Citizens Committee met. Well, I know a fellow who answers that description, one of them said. Steady sort, built like a panther came from georgia kind of slow motion until he's ready for the spring name's brown the badge was pinned on brown greenwater was a port of call for death valley slim a character of western deserts who normally was a happy-go-lucky likable fellow but periodically slim would fill himself with desert liquor his belt with six guns and terrorize the town Shortly after Brown assumed the duties of his office, Slim sent word to the deputy sheriff at Death Valley Junction that he was on his way to that place for a little frolic. Tell him, he coached his messenger, sheriffs rile me and he'd better take a vacation. After notifying the merchants and residents, who promptly barricaded themselves indoors, the officer found shelter for himself in Beatty, Nevada so slim saw only empty streets and barred shutters upon arrival and since there was nothing to shoot at he headed through dead man's canyon for greenwater there he found the main street crowded to his liking and the saloons jammed he made for the nearest ordered a drink and whipping out his gun began to pop the bottles on the shelves at the first blast patrons made a break for the exits at the second the doors and windows were smashed and when slim holstered his gun the place was a wreck messengers were sent for brown who was at his cabin a mile away brown stuck a pistol into his pocket and went down he found slim in wandel's saloon the town's smartest there slim had refused to let the patrons leave and with the bartenders cowed the patrons cornered slim was amusing himself by shooting alternately at chandeliers the feet of customers and the plump breasts of the nude lady featured in the painting behind the bar following brown at a safe distance was half the population keyed for the massacre brown walked in hello slim he said quietly fellas tell me you're hogging all the fun better let me have that gun hadn't you like hell slim sneered i'll let you have it right through the guts as he raised his gun for the kill the panther sprang and the battle was on they fought all over the barroom standing up lying down rolling over first one then the other on top tables toppled chairs crashed for half an hour they battled savagely finally rolling against the bar both mauled and bloody there, with his strong, vice-like legs wrapped around Slim's and an arm of steel gripping neck and shoulder, Brown slipped irons over the bad man's wrists, 
get up brown ordered as he stood aside breathing hard slim rose leaned against the bar there was fight in him still and seeing a bottle in front of him he seized it with manacled hands and started to lift it slim brown said calmly if you lift that bottle you'll never lift another the bad boy instinctively knew the look that page's death and slim's fingers fell from the bottle greenwater had no jail and brown took him to his own cabin leaving the manacles on the prisoner he took his shoes locked them in a closet no man drunk or sober he reflected would tackle barefoot the graveled street littered with thousands of broken liquor bottles and then he went to bed waking later he discovered that slim had vanished and with him brown's number twelve shoes he tried slim's shoe but couldn't get his foot into it there was nothing to do but follow barefoot he left a blood-stained trail but at two a m he found slim in a blacksmith shop having the handcuffs removed brown retrieved his shoes and on the return trip slim went barefoot after hog-tying his prisoner brown chained him to the bed and went to sleep thereafter the bad boys scratched greenwater off their calling list slim afterwards attained fame with villa in mexico became a good citizen and later went east established a sanatorium catering to the wealthy and acquired a fortune among the first arrivals at greenwater was a lanky adventurer known to the indians as long man and to whites for his ability to make money in any venture and an even more marvelous inability to keep it he was ralph jacobus fairbanks broke at the time he was seeking the quickest way to a comeback foreseeing that the biggest names in copper met a rush he had taken a look at the little stagnant spring with a green scum that was to give the town its name not enough water in it to do the family washing he decided and with uncanny talent for seeing opportunity where others would starve to death he was soon peddling water at a dollar a bucket he had hauled it forty miles uphill from furnace creek wash a hopeful but late arrival who expected to find the town crowded with killers was an undertaker who came with a huge stock of coffins the prospect of a quick turnover seemed to guarantee success but in two years greenwater had exactly one funeral and he sold but one coffin disgusted he stacked the caskets in the center of his shop left and was never heard of again fairbanks came into town one day with his sweat-stained sixteen-mule team noticed the abandoned coffins picked out the largest and best and gave greenwater his first watering trough which was used as long as the town lasted fairbanks soon made enough money to acquire a hotel store and a bar which became a popular rendezvous fairbanks was born of well-to-do parents in a covered wagon en route to utah in 1857 of the thousands who flocked into greenwater only he and charles brown were to remain in death valley country and wrest fortunes from america's most desolate region to greenwater he brought his wife celestia abigail who shared his spirit of adventure but fortunately for him she possessed a caution which he lacked among their children was a beautiful and vivacious daughter stella fairbanks who was of the quick go-getting type didn't care for brown born in the north he was critical of the slow-moving silent young georgian and unacquainted with the deep south drawl he referred to him as that damned foreigner 
the reputation of the fairbanks camaraderie spread and mrs fairbanks who understood the longing of a youngster for a home-cooked meal invited brown to dinner there were other young fortune seekers in greenwater who were also occasional guests at the fairbanks dinners among them a yankee from maine harry oakes of whom the world was to hear later alan gilman known as the rattlesnake kid because of his stalking rattlesnakes to indulge his hobby of making hat bands and trinkets later to become associated with bernard mcfadden wealthy young mining engineers bank clerks with futures brown apparently had none he'll get out of the country like he came in afoot and broke rivals told stella so when romance came there was still a long trail ahead then came greenwater's first warning of trouble a few miners were laid off a few padlocks appeared on a few cabins a few merchants complained soon it was noticed that the tinny pianos from which slim-fingered professors swept the two-step and the waltz were gathering dust while the girls lolled in empty honkies but when diamond tooth lil padlocked her door and joined the rush to a new copper strike at cracker jack in the avavats mountains the wiser knew that greenwater was through with no guests fairbanks told off on his fingers departed patrons mine owners doctors lawyers just charlie left wonder what's keeping him celestial abigail knew she knew that the big georgian was desperately in love with stella and didn't care how many of her suitors left with mines closing and few official duties brown loaded a burrow with supplies and with joe yaron went on a prospecting trip their course led across death valley they were caught in a heat that was a record even for the big sink and ran out of water fortunately they were within a few miles of surveyor's well a stagnant hole north of stovepipe the burrows were also suffering and brown and yaron staggered to water barely in time to escape death the well there is dug on a slant and looking down they saw a prospector kneeling at the water filling a canteen and blocking passage reckon you fellows are thirsty he greeted i'll hand you up a drink have to strain it though full of wiggle tails he pulled his shirt tail out of his pants stretched it over a stew pan strained the water through it and handed the pan up to brown now nah, it's fit to drink he said proudly it was no time to be finicky charlie said we drank brown and yaron combed hill and canyon but failed to find anything of value yaron knew of another place you can have it brown said i left a good claim yaron eyed in a long moment and then grinned stella huh the sage in greenwater streets was rank now and again ralph fairbanks looked out over the dying town ma we're getting out he said he emptied his pockets on the table counted the cash ten dollars and thirty cents can't go far on that he was interrupted by a knock at the door there stood a stranger who wanted dinner and lodging for the night during the evening the guest disclosed that he was en route to his mining claim near a place called shoshone thirty-eight miles south it was near a spring with plenty of water warm but usable he wanted to put fifty miners to work but first he had to find someone willing to go there and board them maybe we'd go fairbanks said what'll you pay for board a dollar and a half a day figures around two thousand two hundred and fifty a month ralph looked at ma she nodded it's a deal he said the next morning the guest left fairbanks turned to his wife i can haul these abandoned shacks down there in no time charlie's not working i can get him to help 
ralph fairbanks had stayed with greenwater to the bitter end and now he hauled it away the road to the new site was over rough desert gutted with dry washes brown slept in the brush put the shacks up while fairbanks went for others both worked night and day to get the place ready finally they had lodging for fifty men a dining room and quarters for the family with two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars a month they could afford a chef and ma could take it easy stella could go outside to a girl's school then like a bolt of lightning came the bad news the greenwater guest they learned was just an engaging liar with no mine no men he was never heard of again without a dollar they were marooned in one of the world's most desolate areas stumped fairbanks looked at brown i've been rich i've been poor but this is below the belt what'll we do i can get a job with the borax company brown said but you we have that canned goods we brought to feed that liar's hired men i'll figure some way to live in this godforsaken hole from the dining room prepared for the two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars monthly income he lugged a table set it outside the door facing the road then he went to the pantry filled a laundry basket with the cans of pork and beans tomatoes corned beef and milk brought from greenwater he arranged them on the table wrenched a piece of shook from a packing crate and on it painted in crude letters the word store he propped it on the table and went inside ma he announced we're in business you could have hauled the entire stock and the table away in a wheelbarrow and every person in the county for a hundred miles in either direction laid end to end would not have reached as far as a bush league batter could knock a baseball the wheelbarrow load of canned goods went to the indians living in the brush and the prospectors camped at the spring another replaced it and the store moved then into the dining room prepared for the non-existent boarders powder a must on the list of a desert store was added the desert man they knew needed only a few items but they must be good overalls honestly stitched bacon well cured shoes sturdily built for hard usage if we sell a shoddy shirt an inferior pick or shovel to one of our customers they told the wholesaler we will never again sell anything to him nor to any of his friends soon the prospectors were telling other prospectors they met on the trails square shooters those fellows speak our language the squaws and the bucks told other squaws and bucks soon new trails cut across the desert to shoshone and soon the store outgrew the dining room in the fairbanks residence from sabrisky now an abandoned borax town a few miles south of shoshone an old saloon and boarding house was cut into sections and hauled to shoshone it had been previously hauled from greenwater where it had served as a labor union hall and clubhouse it was deposited directly across the road from the original store so began in nineteen ten an empire of trade that is almost unbelievable charlie had at last coaxed the right answer from stella but there wasn't enough in the business at the start to support two families plus the score of children and grandchildren of fairbanks at greenwater he had known all the moguls of mining and he had only to ask for a job to get one retaining his interest in the shoshone store he became superintendent of the pacific borax company's important lila sea mine and thus formed a connection which grew into valuable friendships with the executives the shoshone business grew and soon required his entire time and that of stella 
born in richfield utah stella brown grew up in death valley country and a reel of her life would show an exciting story of triumph over life in the raw in desolate deserts and in boom towns where bandits and bawdy women rubbed elbows with the virtuous millionaire with crook and caste was unknown if a girl went wrong if an indian was starving a widow in need there you would find her some day somebody will write the inspiring story of stella brown not all those who were told to see charlie were seeking directions or suffering from toothache when general electric desperately needed talc its agents were so advised when harold dix came out to promote president roosevelt's conservation ideas and officials of the war department sought critical material they too were given the old familiar advice and took it and one day i saw the president of the southern pacific railroad stand around for an hour while charlie waited for a parump indian to make up his mind about a pair of overalls today the store that started on a kitchen table requires a large refrigerating plant and lighting systems three large warehouses two tunnels and a hill about a dozen employees work in shifts from seven in the morning till ten at night to take care of the store cabins and cafe three big trucks haul oil gas powder and provisions to mines in the region out of canyon dry wash and over dunes they come for every imaginable commodity and get it a millionaire city man who vacations there sat down on the slab bench beside brown aimlessly whittling listen charlie he said why don't you get out of this desolation and move to the city where you can enjoy yourself hell charlie muttered and went on with his whittling the new store stands upon the site where ma fairbanks kitchen table displayed the canned goods brought from greenwater modern to the minute and air-cooled it would be a credit to any city again i heard the old familiar see charlie and while he was telling someone how to get to a place no one had ever heard of i glanced over the chalfont register a bishop paper and noticed a letter it had published from a lady in wisconsin seeking information about her brother who had gone to greenwater more than forty years ago she had never heard of him since when charlie joined me i called his attention to the letter i saw it he said nobody answered and the editor sent the letter to me i have just written her that the brother who came to find out what happened died suddenly at tonopah only a few hours by auto from greenwater the other brother was killed in a saloon i knew him and the man who killed him End of chapter fifteen